I want to welcome you to Hebron on the, the first Sunday of a new year, and it's the first day of a new year, and so we say to you, Happy New Year, and we greet you in the Savior's precious name. Last night at the watch night, we were reflecting on the past year. Now we're looking ahead to what the Lord has for us. Hymn 727, standing at the portal of the opening year, words of comfort meet us, hushing every fear, spoken through the silence by our Father's voice, tender, strong, and faithful, making us rejoice.
may be seated. 22 years ago, we began to read through the Psalms consecutively every Lord's Day at the turn of the new millennium. So back on the first Sunday of 2000, we came to Psalm 1, and the way it has worked out year by year, we come back now on this first Sunday of 2023 to the same psalm. Let's hear this opening psalm, just six verses. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's bow together, seek the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, it is a joy to be in God's house on the first Lord's Day of this new year. It's a joy to come before the presence of God, to worship Him. We have been commanded to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And they that worship God, Jesus said, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we come to Thee this day on these foundations. We come, Lord, in truth, in the truth of Your Word. We come, Lord, in spirit, praying that within our being, our soul will be stirred, and that the worship that we render to God today will be from the inner man. Draw graciously near. Bless this congregation. We have come to this house principally to meet with our God. And Lord, we pray that we will have such an encounter with the Almighty today. We pray that Jesus Himself will draw near by His Spirit and go with us. May He counsel us. May He direct our way. We pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our teacher, we pray for the application of your word to every mind and heart this day, and so prepare us and fit us for the year that lies ahead. We were rejoicing last night in all that God had done in a past year, and we want to acknowledge that again today. We look back over 2022 to our service for thee in everything that the Lord enabled this congregation to do, and we give Thee thanks. Praising Thee for every conversion, every soul that came to the Lord, for every time the Lord visited with us, came down and made Himself known, 
those times when we knew revival in our hearts, the stirrings of the Holy Spirit in our soul, when you drew us closer to thyself. And Lord, you had many means to do that. Sometimes it was simply through the means of grace. We thank thee for your word and we thank thee for prayer. We thank thee for the Lord's table. At other times, you drew us through difficult circumstances when our backs were against the wall and we were facing trouble and trial. And Lord, you, you caused us to look upward and make changes where changes needed to be made. Now, Lord, we are standing at the beginning of this year and we're looking forward as a congregation to serving the living Christ in this town and further afield. We pray that great grace will be upon this congregation and that each brother and sister here who knows the Lord will be specially filled and anointed by the Spirit to fulfill the work that God has called us to do. We're part of the body of Christ, each one members of another, and we have our functions. We have our particular work that the Lord has called us to do. Lord, you have placed us in the body exactly where you want us, and we pray that we will be an active member of that body, fulfilling our tasks to the greatest of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that this year will be a year of conversions when sinners are saved. We pray that even on this first Lord's Day, thou will visit us in the power of the gospel and bring some sinner to Christ. Lord, as we plan ahead for all the meetings that will be conducted and special times, we pray that you will go before us and direct our way. We pray that the Spirit of God will be poured out upon this church. And Lord, as we pray for ourselves, we we pray for the the wider work of our denomination. We pray for every minister and student and layman and all the work that we will seek to do together for the Lord in this province where you've placed us. And as we think of the Great Commission, Lord, we pray that you will help the denomination to go forward with a, a missionary mind and to support the work of the gospel going to the nations of the world. Remember next weekend, we pray for a special visitation of the Lord, that you will come and abide with us and make it a great weekend of missionary challenge. May God be glorified. May young people and older people alike be called to the work. May we have a great time in the house of God. Bless us later as we come to the Lord's table to remember the death of Christ. Make it a precious and a sweet time in contemplation of our Savior, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Welcome on, again on this first Sunday of the year, and we trust that the Lord's blessing will be our portion. If you're listening in on the internet, we bid you a welcome also, and we trust that you'll be blessed at home just where you are. Uh, remember, after this service, it's the Lord's table. If you know the Lord, you're saved by grace, you're walking with God, then the invitation is from the Lord himself. And he says, this do in remembrance of me. And we will come to sit 
with the Savior himself at the table. There's a time of prayer for the elders and the deacons at 5.30 tonight. Every time we have the, the Lord's table on that particular day, we come together for prayer. <clears throat> Family night is at 7 o'clock, preceded by the time of prayer at 6.30. Refreshments will be served, and the ladies are asked to bring a small tray of scones, pancakes, or buns. Thank you. Can I mention that the minister's week of prayer commences tomorrow on the 2nd through to the 5th, and it's not too far away. I'll be traveling up to the Lord's Hotel. There's also for our elders and ministers a special communion service tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in the Coleraine Church. We encourage our elders to get to that. We will have our prayer meeting on Thursday night. Remember the prayer meeting at 8 o'clock and then it's our missionary weekend, our annual missionary weekend uh, from Friday through to the Lord's Day. So you'll see from the advertisement that Friday night at 8 o'clock, Dr. Bill Woods will be with us, and I'll be bringing a short missionary challenge at the end. Saturday at 7.30, Dr. John Wagner from the United States will be here to preach. Sunday the 8th, next Lord's Day at 12, the Reverend Reggie Kimbrough from the United States will be here to preach. And then in the evening time, Donald Fleming will be coming to speak on the work in Ukraine and what's been happening over the past little while. Throughout the weekend, there'll be various missionary reports from around the world, and that will include <coughs> Brazil, Uganda, Romania, and Ukraine. And there'll also be missionary greetings from various ones and that will be by video. So we look to the Lord, pray for the weekend. The Reverend Karskaden will be with us. He's the outgoing missionary to Uganda. And uh, Pastor Pavlenkov will be with us also. And he'll give a report on the Sunday night. And Samuel Johnson, our youth leader, and Keziah, they'll be bringing reports on uh, the work that we've been doing, even within the youth fellowship context on the mission field. The choirs will sing. We look forward to that. And refreshments will be served on Friday night. Ladies, can you bring one loaf of sandwiches and two dozen buns? That would be appreciated. On the Saturday morning of the weekend, so that's this coming Saturday, there's a New Year breakfast organized by our Christian school. And this is from 8.30 until 12.30 p.m. And you're welcome to come at There'll be an opportunity to give to the school and there'll be an offering plate at the, at the exit and you come in and get a free, a free breakfast but then you pay on your way out. Something like that. You give a gift to the school. We have our own week of prayer from the 9th to the 13th of January each night at 8 o'clock just to announce that. And the Missionary Council prayer calendar is available for the incoming year. And just very quickly, greetings from the Philippines, from the Reverend Ebenezer Nombre. He sent this photograph this morning of the church meeting there. And just recently, they've been reaching out. You will know that the Philippines is often hit with hurricanes and storms and causes great devastation. Buildings are destroyed and terrible flooding. And these are just some of the recent pictures of homes that were destroyed. And he's been reaching out to his own community and seeking to help them with aid and encouragement. And then just finally, 
We have greetings from the Reverend Edgar Trabolsi from Lebanon. Uh, he, he greets us and he will get a, get a report in the very near future, a fuller report. But just for now, for the new year, he and his family are greeting us. And there's been a new addition. This is Edgar Jr. So uh, he's welcome to their family. Please continue to pray for the sake of the congregation and all the needs in the land of Ukraine. These are all the announcements, except to mention that the, the flower rota is now on the notice board. If you want to help with flowers in the church for the incoming year, if you can put your name on that rota, that would be much appreciated. So good to see all that are here, and if you're visiting with us, uh, good to have Paul and Ashley and the little one with us today. Others that might be visiting are not normally here on this particular uh, first Sunday of the year. So may God bless you. I'm going to sing a very well-known hymn, one of the best-known hymns, translated into most languages in the world where the gospel has gone. They reckon that it is sung every year at least 10 million times, and that's amazing grace. And we're singing this, and we're thankful to you, Samuel, for the information that you sent, because on this day, 250 years ago, the 1st of January, 1773, Amazing Grace was sung for the very first time in Olney, England. I've been there and been to the place where John Newton ministered and where these hymns were, were sung. Many of them were known as the Olney hymns, as you know. So let's sing with joy and worship and praise to God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's the testimony of every Christian, every believer. You can sing this about the amazing grace of God. It was particular to John Newton, who is the author of the hymn, when we think of the, the wild background that he came from. And yet God stepped in in the midst of the storm of the north uh, west coast of Ireland uh, that brought him to his knees and brought him to Christ. Let's sing about God's amazing grace.
once again without the music when we have been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. Let's sing. you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. Quite a few months ago, thinking about the new year commencing and what the modern text might be, I was actually in the Old Testament Scriptures in the Song of Solomon, and I had a text in mind. I even had uh, an outline, but that changed and it changed just in the past week. It was Boxing Day, it was Monday, and as I came to read Daily Light, the first text that was there really struck my heart. And we've used this many years ago as one of our motto texts, but I believe it's to be the motto text for this year. And it's a text that is near to my heart. It's the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, but we're going to read from verse 51, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's have prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this first Sabbath and for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank thee for the singing of the songs of Zion and the joy that is in our hearts as we have thought about the great truths that we've sung, even in this testimony hymn of John Newton, because it is our testimony, and it's the grace of God that has saved us. It's the grace of God that keeps us. And praise God, it's that same grace that will take us home one day to be with the Lord forevermore. As we come to your word, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. 
and for the instruction here. And we pray again for the Spirit's ministry, for the Holy Ghost to be our teacher right now. Give me the help that I need to bring the message. Fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, speak to this people and speak to my heart. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And I'm sure you've guessed the text. It's this final one. I did mention it's the final verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So there is a text more than any other text that has been on my mind and my heart throughout my entire ministry. I would call it personally my motto text, and it's these words of verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. God stamped this verse upon my soul from my student days. It used to be, and it's not so much practice now, that as you grew up in churches and visiting preachers came, you'd have got them to sign your Bible. Some of you will remember those days. Uh, Mr. Stewart certainly will remember those days. And very often it was the more prestigious preachers and the, the, the important preachers that you would have got to sign your Bible. So what a privilege it was when whenever I was asked as a student or as a young minister to sign the Bible of those and that, uh, that attended the meeting. And that usually happened just at the door as people left. Will you sign my Bible? And when I did, I always signed it with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. When one of my children got married, they'll remember this, they got me cufflinks for the day of the wedding. And on one side was part of the verse and the other side was another part of the verse or maybe the reference. So my family know, and I think this church knows, that this is a text that is very dear to me. When I'm weary or discouraged or disappointed, and sometimes that can happen to a preacher as well, it just seems that the Lord brings before my mind and my heart this text, and he encourages me to keep on going on in the work, pressing forward, endeavoring to be that abounding Christian, because that's what the text is speaking about, the always abounding Christian. And I want to give you this text today, whether you are weary or not. It may be as you've come to the house of God today that you are riding on the crest of the wave. You're away up there in your Christian experience. And if that is so, we praise the Lord for that. In these days, all is bright and cheery and you're greatly encouraged. But I say to you also, press on with God and His work and live by this text of Scripture. You be that always abounding Christian. It may be that you are not on the crest of the wave, that you're in the valley as you come to God's house today. Discouragement has set in. Weariness is your dreaded feeling, maybe even every day. And Satan is assaulting you from every angle. And it's usually people that he uses to do that. Not always, but very often it is people. Well, I want to bring this text to your attention. I want to encourage you today. 
there is a statement that is associated, I think it is, with Campbell Morgan. And every time I try to search and find who it really is associated with, I can't find it on the internet. But there is a statement of this dear man of God when he came to the end of his ministry. And this is what he said. If I had to do it all over again, I would spend more time encouraging God's people. And how true that is. You know, brethren and sisters, we need encouragement in this old world in which we live. And so our text today is very personal to me. I've always viewed it as my text, a special verse with, with meaning and application. And it's not unusual to have a text that's special. And maybe you have one. John Calvin had a special text. It was the Psalm 124 and verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The great evangelistic preacher D.L. Moody had a special text. Isaiah 12 and verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. The lifelong verse of David Livingstone was Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's the end of it. So said David Livingstone to himself as he placed his finger on the verse of the Bible that he had staked his entire life upon. He was continually surrounded by hostile savages. And during the 16 years that he had spent in Africa up until this point, he had never been in as imminent danger. Death was literally staring him in the face. And he was tempted secretly and quietly to steal away in the darkness of the night and run for his life. But then he turned in the Bible to his favorite words of Scripture, the words of Christ himself just before his ascension to heaven. And lo, I am with you always, even on to the end of the world. It is this verse that gave him strength and courage to resist the temptation to flee and face the dangers head on the next day. I have many favorite verses, precious passages that I love, but in a very particular way, this one is my text. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. And it's been there from my earliest days at Bible college. And I, I purposed in my heart when the Lord called me to Bible college to train for the ministry of his word that I wanted to be the kind of Christian that this text speaks about. I wanted to be that abounding Christian and I want others to share this too. So as we think of the new year that is before us, what kind of a Christian do you want to be for God? How do you want your life to be lived before your fellow man? In what way do you want to do God's work? Well, as for me, and I hope for my house, I want to be of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Christian this year. 
And I desire every believer in God's house today to be likewise. So may God speak to your heart. It is our mother text as we think of the always abounding Christian. Notice with me, first of all, the calling that is entrusted to you and I as God's people. And it is the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is very simply living a life in obedience to God's holy word and will. It is engaging ourselves in the business of the Lord, the duties and responsibilities that he has set out for his church. Every true believer is a workman or a workwoman. One commentator said, He that works not to bring glory to God and good to man is not acknowledged as a servant of Christ. And if he is not a servant, he is not a son. And if he is not a son, then not an heir. We are to be engaged in Christian service, promoting the glory of God and advancing his kingdom, doing all that we can while we can as God gives us strength and grace. One of the greatest examples of a man involved in the work of the Lord is the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote this text. From the moment that he was converted to Christ, he sought to be this kind of Christian. He set himself about the work of the Lord. As a new convert, we see some of the characteristics of that work emerging in his life. So you don't need to go any further than Acts chapter 9, where we read about the conversion of the apostles. So just for a moment, turn by way of example And let's see what the work of the Lord is. Let's see these characteristics that are now here in Paul right from the beginning. As soon as he became a Christian, these things were emerging in his life. He had a wholehearted desire to obey God's will. We're in chapter 9 of Acts. We're thinking here of verse 6. Right on the day of his conversion lifts his heart to the Lord as the Lord has stepped into his life and confronted him. And he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? The man that asks that kind of question obviously is a man that wants to do what God wants him to do. He wants to do God's will. He wants to be engaged in God's work. He also engaged in the business of prayer. In verse 11, as Ananias is sent to speak to Saul of Tarsus as he was, You remember the Lord says when he found him, (coughs) Behold, he prayeth. And from the beginning, in that period of time there in Damascus City, the apostle Paul was engaged in prayer. He was a man of prayer. And that's part of the work of the Lord. He presented Christ to a needy in a lost world. Look at verse 15 of the chapter. The Lord said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he that is Saul of Tarsus is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And when you go down to verse 22, here's what we read. Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So again, right from the beginning not long converted. What is this man doing as he engages himself in the work of the Lord? 
he's presenting Christ to a lost world. And he spent the rest of his ministry doing that. And then there was spiritual growth and knowledge. <clears throat> Look at verse 22. We're told that Saul increased the more in strength. And when you're doing the work of God, you will increase the more in strength. He desired fellowship. He desired membership with the church. He wanted to be a member of the church right there from the beginning. We see that in verse 26. <clears throat> when he came to Jerusalem, it says he said to join himself to the disciples. And that wasn't simply just to, to go along to church and to be there and to sit with other Christians. It was to become a member, to become one of them. That's what the language here is showing us. He, he wanted to join the church from the beginning, even though they were, as you see, suspicious of him at the start because of the past life that he had lived. We don't read about Saul of Tarsus again until chapter 13. That's quite amazing. When he is set aside for special missionary service, chapter 13, verse 2, the church is told, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them unto. And that was, of course, the beginning of his missionary journeys. So over 10 years have passed by, and we don't hear anything about Saul of Tarsus from chapter 9 through to chapter 13. We could call those years lost years, but they weren't lost years. That would be a wrong judgment. We could call them silent years, for we know little about them during that time. We could call them unrecognized years or unrecorded years, but we can be certain of this. The apostle Paul was engaged in the work of the Lord, even though we don't read about it in the scriptures. For that 10-year period, he was engaged in God's work. We can be certain about that. He was abounding in the work. It seemed that he became a home missionary in the region of Syria and Cilicia, which was Paul's home province where Tarsus was located. The only reference that we have to this period is found in the book of Galatians and <clears throat> the chapter 1. And let me just read at the end of the chapter from verse 21 to 23. Afterwards, as he writes to the Galatian church, afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he had destroyed. So that's what he was doing in that 10-year period. He was preaching about Christianity. He was presenting Christ to the needy and a lost world. And then from chapter 13 onwards, we go to read about his missionary journeys and the exploits that he did for the Lord. If we have no desire for God's work, if we have no desire for, for missionary endeavor, whether that's at home, right here where we live, or abroad, further afield, then we're not truly involving ourselves in the work of the Lord. The principal work of the Lord is the Great Commission. And you should know what the Great Commission is. If we mention that term to you, you should be able to summarize it 
in one of the Lord's great texts that he gave to his church. Now go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the great commission that Almighty God has given to the church. There's no higher work. There's no greater task that has been committed to the church of Jesus Christ than this. And so we ought to redouble our efforts in the work of the Lord. Paul, an outstanding example. But there's a greater example. A greater example of an individual who engaged in the work of the Lord that I could draw your attention to, and that's Christ himself. The God-man, when the Lord was here upon the earth, I must work the works of him. That's the work of the Lord. I must work the works of him. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. It might be profitable to note some of the work of the Lord in order to be brought to really understand what the work of the Lord is. The question here, as we think of Christ, as we mention some things to you, is this. Is this the work that we are engaged in? Child of God, I'm asking you that question here on the first Sabbath of the year. As we mention what Jesus did, the work of the Lord, is this the work that you follow? Is this the work that you seek to do day by day, week by week? What was the Lord engaged in? Evidently, first of all, the spread of the gospel. From the beginning of his ministry, seeking to spread the message of the gospel that men might be saved. And we have a religious Pharisee in John chapter 3, right at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. We have a sinful Samaritan woman in the next chapter, John chapter 4, and right throughout the Lord's ministry, that's what he endeavored to do, to reach people with the gospel. That's the work of the Lord. Stirring the hearts of others. And I've mentioned John 3, and I've mentioned John 4. If we come to John chapter 4, and just maybe to stay within this gospel, John chapter 4, as we think of Christ, And here we have the Lord stirring up the hearts of others, and namely here the disciples, verse 34 and 35, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Your meat is the thing that you thrive on. It's what you devour. It's your bread, and we see it in the physical sense, what your meat is, but here is the spiritual sense, what I live for, what devours me is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And then he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look in the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. This is my work, Jesus said. This is what I live for. And now he's saying to his disciples, and he says it to us, I want you to live this way. I want you to be engaged in this work. And he stirred up the hearts of others. Supporting the sick is another one of the great characteristics of Christ in the same chapter. And verse 46 onwards, the Lord comes to Cana of Galilee where he made water wine. And there was a certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum. And you remember how 
this man, and you read the story, came to Christ, and he, he pleaded, pleaded for his son who was ill, who was at the point of death. The young man was going to die. We understand this father coming to Christ, pleading the case of his son. And there's a wee bit of challenge there from the Lord, and but, but the man persists, and he, he says to the Lord, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saw the faith of this man and he told him, go home. Your son lives. And whenever he was going home, he was met by his servants with the news, your son lives. He's been healed. What time did it happen? It was exactly the same time when the Lord says, go home, your child liveth. And the Lord had a great compassion for the sick and so should you and I satisfying the hungry. You come to John chapter 6 and we we read the wonderful miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And particularly, you can note verse 9 through to verse 11. If I can just quote those verses to you. So it's chapter 6, verse 9. There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, make them all sit down, much grass and so forth, and he feeds the 5,000 with such a small amount of food. And you want to mark what it says a few verses down? Look there at verse 26, 27. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou thither, hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. That's the only reason why they came. But still, the Lord helped them. Still, the Lord fed them. He, he knew that they were only there for the food that day. And they came back to get the food again another day. But still, the Lord had compassion and he satisfied the hungry. In chapter 6, verse 17, 21, he stills the storm. <clears throat> There's this awful storm that erupts in Galilee and the Lord, he's able to say, peace be still. Now we can't do that, but it was part of the work of the Lord. But there are storms that we can still, if, if a storm arises in Christian work, maybe even among some Christians, we could be the means of making sure that there's a calmness brought and we can be engaged in that work. Stooping or sitting at the table, you come to chapter 3, 13 of the Gospel of John, and it's now the Lord is sitting at the table, and soon the Lord's table is going to be celebrated, it's going to be instituted, and there is the Lord sitting at the table. If you want to be engaged in the work of the Lord, you want to sit at the table as the Lord did with his disciples on this very occasion. We also see part of the work of the Lord stooping in humility. He washed the feet of the disciples. And to be the abounding Christian of which this text is speaking means that we are a humble people. And we're willing to stoop even to do a menial task and striving for unity. Oh, the Lord always strove for unity among his people. We think of John chapter 13 and verses 34 and 35, what instruction this is, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, 
that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Never forget what we read here about Christ and what he's instructing his disciples. This is God's work. Striving for unity. Supplicating the throne. Jesus was eminently a man of prayer. We know that. Throughout his entire ministry, we see him in prayer. Maybe on a mountainside. But he prayed. Then come to John chapter 17. It's the great high priestly prayer. The great prayer of intercession. To be engaged and involved in the work of the Lord will mean that you are a man, you are a woman of prayer. And then from John 18 onwards, we have suffering for the gospel. And no one suffered more than Christ himself when we think of all that he had to endure now from Gethsemane's garden onwards. Brethren and sisters, the point I'm making, these things that I've mentioned to you is this is God's work. This is the work of of the Lord. The church of Jesus Christ is essentially a serving church. It's an active church. We are saved to serve, not to sit back. Jesus says, son, go work today in my vineyard, and we will feel our indebtedness if we truly understand the gospel if we fully appreciate all that Christ has done for us, every day of our lives, we will feel that, that indebtedness of heart. And we will say, as we have in the Scriptures, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? The calling entrusted to you and I, it's the work of the Lord. The second point is this, the conduct that is expressed. How, how do you do this work? Well, it's there in the one word, abounding. It's a very interesting <clears throat> term, this word, abounding. The Greek word for abounding is a word that means an exceeding measure, something above the ordinary, it has a thought of overflowing. And that's what our service for Jesus Christ ought to be. Isn't that challenging, men and women? When you think of what the word means, the word abounding, an exceeding measure, something above the ordinary, overflowing, is that how we do God's work? Strong's Concordance defines this word as to superabound in quantity or quality, be in excess, to cause to superabound or excel, be more abundant, be the better, enough and to spare, exceed, excel, increase, remain over and above. You want to try and just ponder those descriptions and you're going to grasp what this word really means and how we ought to be carrying out God's work. Albert Barnes, the commentator, said, always engaged in doing the will of God and promoting his glory and advancing his kingdom. This phrase means not only to be engaged in this, but to be engaged diligently, laboriously, excelling in this. Oh, dear child of God, to abound is to serve God 
fervently. It is to serve him enthusiastically and earnestly with heart and soul and mind and strength, all our being. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And we sometimes misquote it and we put the word all in. It's not really a misquote because that's what it means to do it with all your might. It's to be abounding, you see. Why serve God with less? Doesn't he deserve our best? Shouldn't we abound in every area of, of the work here where we can? Is it not our reasonable service? Prayer meetings of the church? I'm asking you the question, do you abound in the prayer meeting? How do you treat the prayer meetings? Any of them? You can't say there's none of them that I can attend. I'm too busy or I'm too engaged in other things. It's impossible, I think, to say that. That you're so busy doing other things that you haven't time for public prayer, whether it's a Thursday night or a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or other times that are arranged. Are you the abounding Christian when it comes to the prayer meeting? If you're involved in children's work, is this how you do the work that God has called you to do? Or youth work? Or outreach ministry? And when I mention outreach ministry, the open air is on Saturday. Let's not forget it at 11 o'clock. Or visitation, worship services. Do you abound, dear child of God? We're not to serve God half-heartedly, with a grudge or with a sigh. Do you ever do that? Oh, it's, a, it's another time of visitation or it's another time of open air or I'll have to go to church today. That's no way to serve the Lord. It's no biblical way. It's no godly way. You want to serve God with your best. Has the love of Christ never really got hold upon you? Because you see, that, that will be the real motive of abounding. If you want to be this abounding Christian, well then, let the love of Christ permeate your being. Can we say with the psalmist in the Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will. Do you delight in it? Oh my God. And that was not just David in the Psalm 40 saying that, and David did delight to do God's will, but that was prophetic of Christ. Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, he could say that every day of his life, I delight. And you want to delight doing God's will, doing God's work, the conduct that is expressed here. It's so important. The abounding Christian is a person who, who's out and out for the Lord. He sold himself to God's work. He's spoiled for the world. He, he's living for the glory of God. Such a person has a single eye to please the Lord. He's walking in sweet communion with God. He's serving the Lord with joy and gladness. He is the steadfast and the unmovable Christian of this passage. His heart and his hope is set upon things above. He, he's living in the light of that day. That day. Are you living in the light of that day? You're going to stand before God one day. And you ought to live in that, in that light of you appearing there 
before him. The abounding Christian is living in the light of that day. He's looking for and he's hastening towards the coming of our blessed Lord and Savior. He's abounding in love. He's abounding in zeal. He's abounding in holiness. He's abounding in prayer. And all those things that ought to be found in our Christian lives. Paul was such a preacher. The man that wrote this epistle. Paul was an abounding Christian. Nothing was too much trouble in God's work for this man. We know that. He went the second mile. He went the third mile, the fourth mile. Paul went many miles for God. He labored tirelessly. He made it his business to exalt and to glorify the Savior. And this is the kind of Christian we ought to be. Abounding. We must keep at the work and refuse to give it up and resist the temptation to to slacken. We need an old-fashioned baptism of stickability. That's a good word. Don't know how you translate that into Russian, but that's what we need. And then thirdly, and finally, there's the commitment expected. And it's really in the word always, always abounding. Are you an always abounding Christian? Sadly, for most members of the believing church, serving God is sporadic. It's in fits and starts. It's now and again. Some people get stirred up at a convention. They get stirred up at a conference meeting, maybe a missionary weekend. They get stirred up in a gospel campaign, special services that are held, maybe even at the start of the year. Oh, you enter into a new year. It's a new start, and your, your heart is somewhat stirred to really be what you ought to be. And, of course, that's a good thing. Good thing if, if, if you're stirred within. You make changes. You make resolutions. You make commitments. You, you make promises. But then, very sadly for some, you don't see much after that. After that little bit of stirring up, it doesn't really come to anything. You know, you might call them fizzy drink Christians. You're familiar with the term. It's like taking a can of Coke and shaking it, or a bottle of Coke and shaking it and taking the top off, and there's all this froth that comes out and all this burst at the start, and and then everything just goes flat. Or you could say that they are sunshine Christians. When the sun is shining and everything's well, it's good to be a Christian, good to serve the Lord, but, but that's the only time. Or fair weather, maybe following on from that thought, a fair weather Christian. Always abounding means that you keep at the work. In season and out of season. In the sunshine and in the darkness. This kind of faithfulness is a quality that is lacking in many churches today. People lack commitment. They lack dedication. They lack perseverance. There's no loyalty to the Lord. No loyalty to the work. We have every encouragement to be abounding in the Lord's work. Yes, we do. It's the right thing to do for one matter. It pleases the Lord. Don't you want to please the Lord? It glorifies God. Don't you want to glorify Him in your life? It gives us personal contentment that we're living obediently unto the Lord. We are doing good to others, and surely that's, that's a great thing, and it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a co-laborer not just with one another, but with the Lord himself. But look at the whole text just as we bring the matter to an end here. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There, there is a marvelous outcome. Our labor is not in vain. There's two things to note here. The results in this life, and there will be. Our labor will not be in vain. And we'll see the fruit of it in this life. And the rewards in the coming life. Writing to the Hebrews, Paul said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. With his own divine hand one day God will repay. But only the Christian who's abounding in the work of the Lord can expect the results and the rewards. How is it possible to, to be an always abounding Christian? What's the motive? What's the, the drive? What's the inspiration? Well, the always abounding Christian has his eye upon the Redeemer. That's the first thing. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's the chief motive. The love of Christ constraineth us. You see a man or a woman and they are on fire for God and they're always abounding. You can be sure that they have a proper view of Christ that maybe we could say ordinary Christians don't. I say, get your eyes on the Savior today. The always abounding Christian has his eye upon the reward. The Bible speaks much about the reward, not that we're looking for it, but it's promised. The man who is building for eternity with the gold and the silver and the precious stones will abide the fire test that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 3 and 14 and shall receive his reward. Are you laying up for yourself treasure in heaven? And then the always abounding Christian has his eye <clears throat> upon the realm above. This passage here in 1 Corinthians 15, and we've read the, the latter part of it, it highlights the Christian's hope for the future, the resurrection and the great transformation and the victory over death. That's what Paul is speaking about here. And then he, he inserts the word, therefore, because of the victory, because of the day when we will be resurrected, because of the day when we shall be with the Lord forevermore. Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what kind of Christian do you want to be this year? Do you want to be this kind that our text speaks about I trust that it shall be for you and for me. And as I preach a sermon like this, I preach it to my heart, for I need it as much as you need it. May the Lord have mercy, and may he help us to be the abounding Christian. May the text not leave you, brethren and sisters. When you come to the end of the year, will you remember? Auto text, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word. Use it for your glory. Deal with me. Help me every day. Lord, help me not to be weary and well-doing. Help me not to be discouraged. Help me to press on with the Lord. Help me to do what Paul is speaking about here 
in this motto text. Help me to live by it and press it afresh upon my heart. I know it's been there with me for a long time, but Lord, make it real again in my soul. And in the year 2023, may we not be found wanting when it comes to this very matter of being the abounding Christian for Jesus' sake. Amen. Only one life on this earth is vapor is passing away. I must labor for treasures of worth ere toil ends at the close of the day. It's the closing hymn. We'll ask everyone uh, to stay for the opening verse. And if you're not staying for the Lord's table, when we come to verse 2, feel at liberty to exit the building, leave the service. Thank you very much. Thank <clears throat> you.